This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. Well, praise the Lord. I want you to take your Bible and go to the book of Matthew, chapter number 27 this morning. And I'm looking at verse number 51. My thought this morning is around the uncommon events at the crucifixion. Now, don't let that title scare you. I just couldn't think of a better one. So I just, uh, that's just what I put up there. But there's an interesting verse in verse number 51 of chapter number 27. As we look in just a few weeks to the resurrection of our Lord, we start pumping now the gas and we start thinking about the things leading up to that time. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 27 in verse number 51, Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. It's interesting to me, this first gospel of the New Testament is written by a man whose name was Matthew. Matthew was the former tax collector that began to follow the Lord Jesus, and he He left everything behind off of two words. Jesus looks at him in the eyes and he makes this statement, Follow me. But though that was a short statement, the voice of God was so strong in that statement that he was willing to walk away from everything and leave and follow Christ. That teaches me a very valuable lesson about how God operates. You see, too many times we follow the voice inside of us that speaks over and over and over and over. And what I find in the New Testament is that that's not how God operates. God doesn't speak to you over and over and over. He'll say it one time and it just kind of percolates over and over and over. And I imagine that there's some people here today that the Lord has been speaking to, but you've just kind of turned to the side. But it keeps coming back to your mind and it keeps coming back to your mind and it keeps coming back. And Matthew writes this from a very Jewish perspective. He is a Jewish man writing to Jewish people about the Jewish king of those Jews. And so therefore, he's going to write certain things to those Jewish people that the other writers, Mark and Luke and John, will not even cover. It's amazing to me how we look at this crucifixion and Matthew, of all of the writers, spends the most time on the events leading up to the crucifixion. And then all of a sudden, he just speaks about the crucifixion And then he moves on to the resurrection. There's a very particular reason why he does that. Beloved, here is what you're going to find in the book of Matthew. Matthew gives over and over the common things. He talks about the common miracles. He talks about the common words. Everything that the other writers, he'll give you those exact same things. But there's a few things that Matthew talks about that are uncommon. Nobody else talks about him. Verse number 51 and 52 are examples of that. He's going to give three things that happen at the very moment that Jesus dies. He says at the moment when Jesus dies, there is a massive earthquake. And at the moment when the Lord dies, three things happen. Verse number 51, he says the veil of the temple is rent. 
Then he says there after that earthquake, the rocks all rent. And then he says the graves open up and holy saints walk around the holy city of Jerusalem. Nobody else covers those things in depth. Nobody else talks about the facts that the rocks broke in half. Nobody else talks about the fact that the earth opened up and quaked. And I was just thinking, God, what in the world would you put that in the Bible? What would be the reason behind saying that the earth quaked and then the veil torn and then the rocks split and fractured and broke and opened up in two and then the graves opened up? Now, I'm only going to cover two of them this morning because I'm going to tell you, by the time I got to looking at the uncommon events. Here's what you're going to find in these uncommon events in your life. When everything is running in a direction and it's just going on like it always has been, but all of a sudden out of nowhere, something uncommon pops up. You better watch yourself because that's probably God trying to get your attention in some way. Some of y'all are sitting here this morning and you've just been just as happy as a pig in a poke to watch the TV program and to be a part of this whole thing, but some Something happened this morning. And you said, you know what? I think I'll get up and go to that church. That's an uncommon thing. There are people right now, and you can remember what it was like back in the days of your sin, back in the days of your drinking and your going around and carousing, all that stuff that we do when we're sinners. And all of a sudden, just out of the blue, something uncommonly got a hold of your heart, and you could not shake what God, the Holy Ghost, was trying. To, you didn't have any idea it was God. You just knew something uncommon had happened that day out of the ordinary, not the way it's supposed to be. Let's look at these three uncommon events and let's see if there is a real reason why God, the Holy Spirit, put him and these in the Bible. Let's look, number one, on the veil that was rent. You see, the scripture says in verse number 51 that at the moment of that earthquake, at the very second that the Lord Jesus made the statement, it is finished. The Bible says he gave up the ghost and he died. Man, I read one commentator yesterday, Alfred Edersheim, and I had me an old-fashioned Holy Ghost snot slinging Pentecostal Church of God. Oh, I mean just a spell in that office. Here's what he said. He said the reason that Jesus had to give up the ghost is not even death could beat the Lord Jesus. You see, death was met on the battlefield of the life of the Lord Jesus, and the only way that death could render him gone and with no life was that the Lord had to yield up the ghost. And this is the point of that. He's the first man that ever met death face to face and death had to bow to his will and not we bowing at the will of death. But at the moment when he dies, the Bible says the earthquakes and the veil of the temple, that 60 foot long, 30 foot wide, that garment that was as thick as the palm of a man's hand, that veil is rent, torn in half from top to bottom. Now, what was the veil? Let me show you a picture of the veil in the temple. The veil in the temple was that piece of garment that had been arrayed in order to separate the holy place where the table of showbread was, where the golden lampstand was, where the altar of incense was. It was there to separate that place from the most holy of holies. Inside of the holy of holies 
was that thing you and I both know Indiana Jones went looking for? You know, the Ark of the Covenant? That Ark of the Covenant, though, in the eyes of the Jew, that was the symbol of the presence of God. That was that place one time a year where the high priest would go in and offer the blood on the mercy seat at the top of that Ark of the Covenant. That Ark of the Covenant was on the inside that was the symbol of the presence of God. And before man on the outside could get into the presence of God on the inside, he had to go through the veil. Here's the problem. Unholy man was not allowed inside of the presence of God. That's what that veil was there for. It kept unholy man on one side and it kept holy God on the other side. But that day when the earth quaked, here's what's so amazing. When you read commentaries and and dictionaries and theology books, here's what they say. They say that that garment, that veil, it was so heavy and thick Whenever they went to clean it, whenever they went to hang it, whenever they went to move it, it took 300 priests in order to manipulate that garment. They say that in order for that garment to be torn in half, it would have taken two teams of oxen, one on one side and one on the other side, and tear it in half. So that day when the ark was shown and that day when the earth quaked, that day when the veil was rent. The Bible says it was rent from the top to the bottom, not from the bottom to the top. You know why? As soon as that veil tore in half, they knew the only person that could tear that thing in half was the very hand of omnipotence. It was the hand of God. So here is now the question, why would God at the very moment of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, why would God tear that veil in half? Why would God, of all the things he could have put the lamp stand out. He could have eaten all the bread off the golden table of showbread. He could have stopped the golden incense. He could have shut down the blood sacrifice outside, but he tore the veil. There was a symbol. Let me give you the three reasons right quickly why God, and this is what Matthew's trying to get into. Number one, the first reason why he tore the veil, God Almighty did, was to signify that a way had been opened. You see, before that crucifixion, before that veil was torn. There was only one man that could get inside there one time a year and it was the great high priest on the day of atonement. That man, the only way he could get in was to get in with the blood of the shed lamb in his hand. Here's the problem. Nobody else could get in. A normal priest couldn't get in. A rich Jew couldn't get in. A normal Gentile couldn't get in. A poor Jew couldn't get in. A poor Gentile couldn't get in. You know why? Because the veil had separated God from man. But something happened. There were seven sayings on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and at the very end of the very seventh of the very last one when the Lord cried in one Greek word telestai, it is finished. At that very moment, God said, I want to show you what my son just did. I got God bumped.
Bibles right now on me. Here's what he said. He said, I'm going to tear that thing in half and I'm going to signify no longer am I separated from you. No longer can unholy man not come into the presence of God. No longer can a sinner not come in the house of God. No longer can people not get in my presence. No longer is it just for one person. It's for the rich. It's for the poor. It's for the white. It's for the black. It's for the Jew. It's for the Gentile. It's for the male. It's for the female. It's for the good and it's for the bad. It's for the up and it's for the down. It's for the Baptist and it's for the Pentecostal. It's for the church of God and it's for the Methodist. It's for whosoever will come unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what he said. He said, I have already done the work. I have come to you. I've made the way. Now it's your turn to make the journey. You say, how do I get into the presence of God? There's no longer fear. You see, before that veil was torn, you go into there, you die. You step in there, you're done. Now the fear is gone. I know when I get in there, I'm going to be in the presence of God. I've just got to come. I've just got to come. I've just got to come. And there may be fear and there may be fright in your mind. What happens if I turn myself over to Jesus? Would he take a sinner like me? Honey, I know he'll take a sinner like you because he took a sinner like me. He saved my soul, washed me in his blood, made the way clear, made the way plain. And if you're here today, all you've got to do is come. In just a second, you get up out of your seat and say, I'm going after Christ. I'm following the Lord Jesus. I'm turning aside from my sin. You know how you can do that? Because the veil has been torn and God has made a way and Jesus Christ has paved the path for you to get in the presence of God. The veil has been torn. You know the other reason why God tore the veil? Number two, He tore that veil to symbolize and show the emptiness of tradition. Now let me show you something I never thought about to the other day. Behind that veil, David and Solomon had put the Ark of the Covenant. And one time a year, the high priest would go in with the blood atonement and would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And then he would get around to the front and he would back out every year on the Day of Atonement. That's what he would do. Every year on Yom Kippur, that's what he would do. Something happened in 586 B.C., the Babylonian captivity. The Babylonians destroy and exile all the Jews and they take all their stuff. They take the gold, they take the silver, they take the jewels, they take the showbread, they take the altar. And here's a problem. When the Jews come back 70 years later, you realize in the new temple that Zerubbabel built, they put the showbread table, they put the golden lampstand, they put the altar of incense, but there's only one piece of furniture they didn't put in there. The Ark of the Covenant. Nobody knows where it is. We were over in Israel a while back, and Brother Ralph knew a Jewish man that said they knew exactly where the ark was. Here's the point, though. It wasn't in the temple. And for 500 years, the high priest took the blood into that holy place. What he put it on? He wasn't going in there to really atone. You know what he was going in there for? Because everybody expected him to do it. Everybody thought that's what's supposed to happen. Everybody 
said, you know what? I guess if he's doing it right, it don't really matter if he's doing it right. And 500 years until one day when Jesus died, God took the veil and shreds it in half. I wonder if those priests ever one time looked inside and said, ain't nothing in there. Just blood on the floor. Now, we can laugh at the Jews all day long, but how many of you are holding to your traditions to get you to heaven? How many of you say, you know what, I go to church and that's what I'm supposed to do, so I guess I'll be okay with God. How many people say, you know what, I go see my mama one time at Christmas and I guess I'll be okay with God. I guess we go to a church and we sing hymns and he preaches out of a black back Bible, so I guess I'm okay with God. You realize uh, traditions won't get you any closer to God than dressing up in a hairy suit will make you into a milk cow. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the outside be a looking like. It only matters what the juice on the inside is a look. And, like. and it doesn't matter if you wear a tie, if you wear a dress. It does not matter about the exterior man. It only matters. Has the blood of the Lamb of God been applied to your heart? Have you been made right in the eyes of God? Or are you clinging to tradition? What does tradition look like? It looks something like this. You know what? I ain't never really been one to go to church, but I've been going a lot. I guess God's pretty happy with me. You know, I wonder about our excuses sometimes when we stand before God. Watch a preacher walk away from a church because people are mad at him. God, they were ugly to me. And Jesus says, yeah, they were ugly to me too. I imagine there'll be people in the church that say, well, they don't talk to me. And Jesus will probably say, yeah. They spit on me. Beloved, it does not matter about our traditions. Can you imagine standing before God and saying, but Lord, I went to church once. I went to church. Lord, I read my Bible. Lord, I got baptized. And the Lord will say, many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not in thy name cast out demons? And have we not in thy name done all these great works? And he'll say unto you, Depart from me, ye worker of iniquity, for I know you not. It does not matter what you do. It only matters what you trust in. It does not matter if you've cleaned your act up. It does not matter if you're coming to church. It only matters have you been born again by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Empty traditions. Number three, he did it to prophesy. He tore that veil to prophesy of the coming temple destruction. Jesus made a statement four days before this. You know what he said? He said, in just a few days, every stone of this temple will be thrown and cast down upon this temple will be destroyed. And they said... They said, it's not possible. It's not possible. They didn't think that the veil being torn was possible either. But that day when it split right down the center, you know what they thought? 
maybe, maybe he was right. Now, children, I tell you right now, I don't have any idea what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't have any idea what Russia's going to do. I don't have any idea what the, the government's going to do here. I don't have any idea what NATO's going to do here. But I do know this. Our God knows exactly what's going to happen. And it's all going to work according to His plan. And here's what I'm telling you right now. He said in the book of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 that Magog would rise up and her prince Gog would rise up and Meshach and Tubal and all the nations of all the people that were around him would rise up. And what has Meshach and what has Magog done? And Gog, the prince of Magog, done? That's Russia, that's Moscow, Tubal is Turkey. What have they done? They're beginning now to rise up. And what is the West now doing? We're sitting down. The West is now turning aside. You know what that is? That's the spirit of Antichrist. That's the spirit of the latter times. That is all of this coming together. I don't have any idea if this war starts today or ends tomorrow. Here's what I do know. It's all going to work. People say, it'll never happen. It'll never work. It'll never go. It can't happen. I'm telling you right now, God is just one snap of his finger away from doing absolutely whatever he wants to do. And I remind you right now, today is the accepted day. Today is the day of salvation. You better get right before you get left in the name of Jesus. When he tore that veil, he said, I told you, it's a coming. And one day, honey, we're getting out of here. And this whole world's going to look around. I say, them crazies, where'd they go? And some little loudmouth grandmother that had been talking about it her whole life is going to lean over the banisters of glory and say, I told you so. You can laugh about it. You can joke about it. You can ignore it. But it does not change the fact that God has got a timetable. God has got a thing that he's going to accomplish and it is going to come to pass. Now, I'm going to shoot this out very quickly. That's why the veil tore. Number two, why did the rocks rent? Why did the rocks tear? That seems like an odd thing. I understand the veil. That's a very Jewish thing, right? Number one, how do you know the rocks tore? And number two, what does it matter about anything? Well, it must have been such an earthquake and every rock began to absolutely fracture in half. It must have been so monumental that it made them think about something. It made them process Something. Beloved, here's what Jesus had just said in Luke chapter 19, verse number 40. Four days before, he walks, he goes into the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And the people are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees say, tell them to stop. And Jesus said, if they stop praising me. The rocks will cry out. The rocks will open up their mouth. And in their language, they will say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So why did the rocks tear? Number one, they tore in half. 
to praise His name. You say, but wait a second. I thought the disciples were doing that. I did too. But if you remember, at the cross of our Lord Jesus, you could not find Peter. You could not find Matthew. You could not find James. You could not find Thomas. You could not find Judas. You could not find Bartholomew. There was nobody to look up at the cross and say, it's him. 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 him." So you know what happened? When he finally cried, it is finished. And the price had been paid for your sin and for mine. There was no preacher around that would declare that he was the son of God. So when the earth got to quaking, those rocks opened up their mouth and they fractured in half. And this is what they said. They said, if y'all won't praise him, we'll praise him. And in their own language, in their own way, in their own tune, in their own melody, in their own vocabulary, they looked up and they said, it's him, it's him, it's him, it's him. Here's what I tell you today as you apply this to your life. If you think for one second, if you think you can silence the voice of a preacher, you can silence the voice of a preacher, but God will preach to you through your mama. And then when you silence your mama, he'll preach through you, to you, through your daddy. And when you silence your daddy, he'll preach to you through your youngins. And when you silence your youngins in your ears, he'll preach to you through a coworker. And when you silence the coworker, he'll preach through a boss. And if you're the boss, he'll preach through a client. And if he gets done preaching through a client and you won't listen, you'll go outside and the birds will start singing a song. And if you shoot every bird in the sky, all of a sudden, the sky will paint a picture. And if you silence and blacken the sky, all of a sudden, the stars will write the gospel. And then if you turn away every star in the sky, you know what God will do? He'll write it on the soul. He'll write it on the tablet of your heart. You cannot silence the voice of God. And they must have had some kind of praise. You know why? Because when they rip in half, there's a Roman soldier that just put him to death. And he looks up and says, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. There's somebody in here right now and your mama's been telling you that Jesus is the Savior. Your daddy's been telling you Jesus is the Savior. Your your loved one's been telling you Jesus is the Savior. But right now, some little wild, wiry preacher is standing up on the side of a church in the middle of Greensboro and the Holy Ghost is rendering in your heart. Hear what those people are saying. Hear what they're talking about. I remind you today, Jesus Christ is the only way you'll ever be right in the sight of God and God will preach it to you through a preacher or through a rock or through a bird or through your own conscience. That's just the way God operates. Now I waited this whole message. Get this one point. One point. There's another reason why those rocks tore in half. Are you ready? They did it to testify. Are you ready? If you could have taken your ear that day, every little rock, every little pebble, every little thing had a, had an, a fracture in it, had a break in it, had something that had split it in half. I believe if you could have taken your ear and gotten down on the same level with that rock down there on that ground or on that rock, on that hillside, you would have looked at them and said, what are you trying to tell me? You'd get a little closer and you'd say, why did all of you break? And they'd say, we broke because the Lord Jesus has paid your debt. But you'd say this, you'd say this, 
You'd say, but what now are we supposed to build our life on? Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 7, he said, a wise man builds his house upon a rock, not upon the sand, not upon that which, what is sand? It's broken rocks. It's rocks that have been ground down. It's rocks that have been fractured. And you say, what do we build our life on, little rock? What do we build our life on, little broken rock? He'd look up and he'd say, don't worry, there is a rock on this day. You'd say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. All the rocks on this day have fractured in half and that little rock would whisper in your ear. He'd say, children, look on the ground. All the rocks right here may have broken, but there is one rock that did not fracture that day. There is one rock that did not break in half that day. You say, what was that rock? Honey, it was not on the ground, but it was suspended in the air and it was the rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. And you say, nothing on this earth can I build my life on. It's all sinking sand. That's what Matthew was trying to point to. Everything you build your life on, your money, your resources, your finances, what you depend on, it's all shifting sand. But the one you build your life on, follow it all the way through the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, he said, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. Matthew chapter 18, he says, thou art Peter. And upon this rock, the rock can't be Peter. Peter, Peter just fractured. He just walked away. Who is the rock? The rock is Jesus. The rock is Jesus. The rock is Jesus. And if you want a life that doesn't fall apart when wars happen and famine happens and pestilence happens, build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. God in heaven. I got to look in this morning for this little song. Rock of ages. Cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flow be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Son, I got to read in the rest of that song. Here's what the second verse says. It says, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? Oh, for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Verse number three. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I fly to the fountain above. Wash me, Savior, lest I die. Verse number four. While I draw this fleeting breath, when mine eyes shall close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let me put that down in Guilford County Redneck talk. You know what that means? I can try to build my life on a house. I can try to build my life on money. I can try to build my life on career. I can try to build my life on success. I can try to build my life on my marriage. I can try to build my life on my kids. I can try to build my life on anything like that. But it'll all fall apart. But when you bow your life to the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ, that man from Galilee, that man from Nazareth, that holy man from the, from the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, that man that was born of a virgin, that man that was raised up in Nazareth, that man that taught the lawyers and the doctors at 12 years old, that man that was 
called the Lamb of God by John at Bethbara. That man that was baptized in the river Jordan and the skies opened up and the dove descended down. That man that healed the withered hand. That man that healed up withered legs. That man that picked up a cripple. That man that healed the blinded eyes. That man that touched the deafened ears. That man that raised up the dead girl. That man that raised up Lazarus. That man that was anointed by Mary. That man that was, that was broken on the cross of the Lord Jesus. That man that was striped on the lithostrotos. That man that was taking the crown of thorns. That man that bore the cross. That man that bled and died. That man that cried, Father, forgive him. That man that cried, it is finished. That man that cried, into thy hands I commend my spirit. That man that was laid in Joseph of Arimathea's grave. That man on day one and on day two fought hell, fought the devil, and fought the demons. At the end of day number two, he preached the gospel of captivity to those that were in captivity. And he led captivity captive. Ephesians chapter number three says, and that man, that man, the only man, the one man, the true man, the God man, that on that third and glorious morning, he came up out of the grave. He put his robe of righteousness back on. He walked out of that grave, kicked the door back open. He walked out with the keys of death and hell on his side. He walked out that day, looked at a woman named Mary and said, Mary, Mary, go tell my disciples, we really got a mission now. We really got something we're going to do now. It's in the name of that man that we preach. It's in the name of that man that we pray. It's in the name of that man that we worship. It's in the name of that man that we declare salvation for whosoever will. It's in the name of the man, Jesus Christ, that we gather together and have hope in his name. I don't need a rock to tell you that Jesus is the Christ. I'll tell you with my own lips. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And through Him, you can have salvation.